0: You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap.
1: Goma on, come on,
2: Power Talks. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom.
3: And my name is Dexter Mlemwingu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24 7.
2: On Black Power Talks, we engage current events and other important issues throughout the world from an African internationalist perspective. In doing so, we really enjoy engaging African cultural production, film, television, visual art, and music. We really love to engage African cultural work because culture rises from the lived conditions of any given population. Culture can give meaning and explanation to those conditions. We are also concerned with what activists and organizers do with these cultural products. We acknowledge that despite how brilliant many of these artists are, many are not African internationalists. Therefore, it is up to us as African internationalists to examine, critique, and place into action many of these important ideas and concepts as needed.
3: Today, we are excited to examine Kendrick Lamar and his new album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Lamar's produced his first album in five years, following much anticipation. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers' double album that engages a variety of topics that pertain to the lived experience of Africans. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers is representative of Lamar's general intervention into hip-hop. Over the past 12 years, Lamar's music has defied the form and genre that has historically been applied to hip-hop culture and rap music. There has historically been a division between what people call conscious rap and hardcore gangster rap. This has often been a bourgeois or petty bourgeoisie distinction placed on hip-hop culture that, in many ways, has been meant to slander the rap music tradition that arose as a pushback against the U.S. counterinsurgency War against African people by giving voice to the Africans caught in the belly of the beast.
2: Chairman Amalia Sotila has defined counterinsurgency as a war without terms waged against African people and the African Revolution. Counterinsurgency uses, quote, military, paramilitary, political, economic, psychological, and civic actions, unquote, to defeat the insurgent revolutionary struggles of colonized people. Hip-hop emerged as a cultural form amidst the counterinsurgency. Kendrick Lamar's immediate entry into hip hop gave definition to the African experience under the U.S. counterinsurgency. This was the point of his debut album, Section 80, and he continued this with his sophomore release, Good Kid Mad City, in 2011 and 2012, respectively.
3: The late black studies professor, Clyde Woods, has noted the similarities between hip-hop and another African musical form produced in a moment of counterinsurgency and military assault against African people, the blues. The blues and rap were birthed in the wake of the mass mobilization of African people, and amidst a variety of political-economic contradictions such as mass imprisonment, white nationalist violence, and terror, the tightening reins of colonial capitalism and the welfare state, Woods notes that the blues and hip-hop shed the light on these contradictions and sought to remember the previous moments of mass organization by African people. We can see this in songs like High Power by Kendrick Lamar, as well as his album To Pimp a Butterfly. The blues and hip-hop sought to give survival strategies under counterinsurgency. However, they do not directly point to the political way forward.
2: That is where we come in. As we noted. It is up to us to point the political way forward. And to do that, we are excited to once again be joined by Comrade Soliana Bekel. Uhuru, Soliana.
1: Uhuru, Comrades. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be back and, you know, talk to talk about this new Kendrick album.
3: Uhuru, uhuru. You know, as a, as a Kendrick nationalist, we had to have you on. So uh, we're really excited to have you on this episode.
1: Yeah, definitely. going <laughs> to hear some of my biases as his fan. <laughs>
3: Right, right, right. It's expected. Mm-hmm. So we've all had the chance to sit with Kendrick's latest album a little bit, and you want to have a discussion, as we lay it out in the intro, you want to have a discussion on it as African internationalists. What were some of your initial reactions to the album?
1: Well, at first, I feel like I had to just kind of take it in. Like, I didn't I, what, try to go into it without really expecting anything because I feel like at least when I listen to music, new music at that, I can't just judge it off the bat because I feel like I'll really disappoint myself. Um, so I just try to kind of sit with it, listen to it here and there, even have it as background music to just kind of, I don't know, like develop, I guess, a, a good judgment of it. And so at first, some songs that really popped off uh, for me was N95, which is the second track on the album. Um mm. I think it's like a reference, you know, to the N95 mask that everybody was wearing during the pandemic, right. but the first, um, it starts off with Kendrick just singing like, a a cappella, so with no beat behind it. And then the beat just kind of goes off like super hard comes at you. It kind of reminded me a lot, uh, of songs from damn it's kind of, it has that kind of vibe.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then it can, and then another song that really caught my attention was also father time and rich spirit, which is track five and seven respectfully respectively. And so Father Time was also again the, the thing that caught my attention was the beat as well. It just yes. had a, a, I don't know, it just kind of wrapped me up. I really like that. And so some songs like that like really uh caught my attention and so just the first impression I had of it was it was a good one because a lot of songs caught my attention, you know.
3: Right, right, right. No, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And you know, um upon my first listen and just seeing other people's reaction to it, this is probably the the first but one of the few albums I've heard of that have been described as like em- so emotionally taxing to listen to, you know, and like exhausting. That like that's the word that's come up a lot. I've seen people say they've had to take breaks halfway listening to the album to kind of compose themselves and then get back to the album.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that sentiment. I feel like Kendrick is known for having these deep type albums, but I really feel like with, you know, uh, some around the big steppers he really jam-packed it with those type of songs you know what I mean usually he just has some kind of songs like that you know that are deep but this time around it was just like bam 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 like here you go listen to me talk about all my issues you know so right all that yeah
3: right 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 and my smile I know you got to listen as well what were some of your initial reactions or some standout tracks to you
2: yeah it's um very interesting this new album because of the fact that In many ways, it's a continuation of the album that he dropped five years ago. It's Mm -hmm. an album that reflects five years' worth of artistic advancement, but as well as political advancement and ideological advancement amongst Mm -hmm. African people. Mm -hmm. So we cannot understand this album without that. But also, clearly, uh, the cover art, the title itself... Uh, really speaks back towards a much longer uh, history of African music, um, not just in the U.S., but around the world and things uh, like that. So I I really find it to be uh, an interesting uh, album. One thing that I find interesting is that he ended Damn with the track Duckworth. And I think it's on Duckworth where he says, uh, you know, I thought it was me against the world, but then I found it was me versus me. That's on Duckworth, correct? Uh, it was me against the world Then I find it's me versus me Yeah, I believe why, so Why, 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 why So <laughs> sounds about right. So I read somewhere that This album is Separated as such, right? Me versus the world Then me versus me And in many ways I, you know, in many ways I think that Kendrick can be Classify it as an idealist, as sorts. I think that his own philosophical idealism arises from the counterinsurgency and much of the problems and struggles that we have in the disorganization in amongst the African community of the Los Angeles area of where you know I grew up. You know, my nephew, my uncle, my aunties, and stuff like that went to the same high school that Kendrick attended. Centennial High School, and they're from that, that side of my family, is from that same area of Compton where Kendrick was from, and stuff like that. So, you know, when he's talking about all this other stuff, you know, Israelite and all of Jesus and all this other stuff, I can tell the sort of, you know, he has a certain idealism that he's held on to uh, as the result of the counter assault against our movement. But nevertheless, You know, I still see some uh, political uh, direction in it because me versus the world, then me versus me. I really hear him doing what we as African internationalists call criticism and self-criticism in this album. Right. I think there's sort of criticism of the larger conditions Africans are placed in. But then uh, in the Auntie Diaries, which I know that we'll get into uh, in deeper discussion, I hear him engaging in um, self-criticism. And I think that that sort of complex uh, understanding of African thought uh, uh, has really allowed for Kendrick to uh, stand out amongst his peers. I mean, I, I love the way in which Kendrick, in his own music, can Engage the larger history of African music coming out of Los Angeles and elsewhere without just simply mimicking it, right? When you think about the game, the game really came on the scene as, you know, I'm 21st century NWA, is his whole thing. You know, he had the Compton hat and the same script and everything like that. But Kendrick in a song like Mad City, you know, he says, fresh out of school, I was a high school grad, you know living on the couch of my mama's pad or something like that. He's clearly engaging the music of Ice Cube from about 20 some odd years before, but he's not simply mimicking Ice Cube or something like that. He's engaging it, but he's bringing it to the present to say, hey, we are still living with these same conditions. Now what? Or something like that. And I see him doing that same stuff here. Now, I'm I'm glad he mentioned that. Just noting his,
3: you know, his own kind of political, like ideological development. Um, just from what "Pin Butterfly" was it to this more, "And Damn" to this most recent album, because that even kind of brings us to our next question. Because you know, oftentimes you 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 see Kendrick's whole discography not really talked about, like you know, this album and then that album, but they talk about like it's a kind of continuum, like like different parts of the story, like an ongoing journey. So you see that description used, like describe his whole, all his like his whole album output. So I wanted to ask, how do y'all see his journey or how do y'all see his development between 2011 Section 80 and his newest project? Like particularly as it relates to how the world has changed, like in terms of African people from 2010 to now.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel like I, I agree with the sentiment that, you know, Kendrick's previous albums and, you know, like his continuing discography is really like a reflection of his, you know, journey, uh, like in, you know, his political word- worldview of his life um, and so on. And I feel like that also is what makes it difficult to kind of isolate an album and or even compare to see like the, you know, the value, or like, to see how good one is as as opposed to another one, and so just seeing his like overall change from like Section eighty, even Overly Dedicated, which is an album that's usually kind of overlooked because it doesn't yeah. have those all of those hits. Right. Um, so he yeah, has Section eighty, Overly Dedicated, and then there's even the Untitled Un Unmastered. Un- Un- um, there's that's also, also... Of the classic. Yeah, exactly, and there's also um, uh, and then the, you know the popular ones, Good Kid, mass City, Tip and Butterfly. I feel like he is kind of adding to a lot of his, um, you know, political beliefs. Like even in Inge- *Inga Kim for example, I feel like there's a lot of at least optimism about um, about you know the conditions of African people. Independent um, Butterfly*, you know, the song "All Right" um, really had become an anthem at a certain point for Black people. You know, "We Gonna Be All Right" became like a kind of you know catchphrase, and so that kind of reflected the overall mood for that album. And I think now we see with uh, Mr. Moran The Big Steppers that has drastically changed and it's become almost a bit more like, I don't want to say pessimistic, but just kind of like being realistic, at least less idealistic than he was in the previous times. And like uh, Matamela and you said, Dexter, um, he does deal with a lot of those self-criticisms, at least in the first half of, his, uh, of, the, of this album. You know, he talks a lot about, you know, like father time, his father issues that he had growing up. And just like relationship issues as well with, you know, we cry together and then just like relationships, you know, with money and United in Grief and all of these things that I feel like he's kind of hitting on that a lot of Africans deal with is still like, I don't think at least in this album, he's kind of confronted how we we should deal with it, which is probably what's been lacking, I guess, in his analysis. But I really feel like at least in this sense, he's become more realistic, more materialistic over over time. And I think this album just kind of shows that because it's just so... You know, dreary in some senses.
2: Well, Uhuru, I want to agree with Soliana, but also offer a different perspective of Kendrick as well. And feel free to jump in. However, uh, I see Kendrick not really changing or even altering uh, his perspective. Well, I do get the feeling. And knowing that a lot of the people that actually taught Kendrick in high school and things like that, understand that Kendrick is a deep reader. He consumes a lot of ideas and culture and stuff like that. Uh, A lot of the older people who Kendrick has been around, not just Top Dog and those people, but some of the South Los Angeles new jazz community that he's around people like Kamasi Washington and others. I, I feel that Kendrick to understand Kendrick, it's not just his vocals, but it's also his visuals. Right. And something like we going to be all right. I actually believe is invoking much more of a a surrealist uh, aesthetic. Right. Uh, He's saying we're going to be all right while clearly showing that things aren't okay amongst African people. Uh, But I do think that he's suggesting that it's a sort of collective process through which eventually we will be all right, right? So, through social movement and struggle, that we will be all right. In the All Right video, you see him floating above the conditions that Africans have to deal with. You see. Uh, you know them in a car that's broken down, that's being carried and things like that. So I, 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 I that's kind of what I see him doing. There's a historian, named Robin Kelly, who writes about what he calls freedom dreams or poetic knowledge, and is inspired by the African poet and philosopher by the name of Aimé Césaire, and Aimé Césaire had in the 1940s wrote an anti-colonial essay called Poetry and Knowledge, which in recent decades has helped afford the idea of, you know, surrealism as a uh, art form that a lot of African people have engaged. And in this book, Freedom Dreams, Robin Kelly says, progressive social movements do not simply produce statistics and narratives of oppression. Rather, the best ones do what great poetry always does, transport us to another place, compel us to relive horrors, and more importantly, enable us to imagine a new society. We must remember that the conditions and the very existence of social movements enable participants to imagine something different, to realize that things need not always be this way. It is that imagination, that effort to see the future in the present that. Robin Kelly, and Aimé Césaire called Poetry. So in that 1945 essay, Poetry and Knowledge, Aimé Césaire said, poetic knowledge is born in the great science of scientific knowledge, which I think is important because he's basically uh, taking like African consciousness and composing it against mm-hmm. you know Western ideology. And he says, what presides over the poem is not the most lucid intelligence, the sharpest sensibility, or subtlest feelings – but experience as a whole. This means everything every history, every future, every dream, every life form from plant to animal, every creative impulse plumbed from the depths of unconsciousness. Poetry, therefore, is not simply what we recognize as the formal poem, but a revolt, a scream in the night, an emancipation of language and old and old ways of thinking. So that's what I kind of think that uh his art really um is representing. And I feel like, you know, I really loved section 80 because it lays claim. It says, here's it says just that you know my generation of African people arose in the counterinsurgency and this is what it means for us. But then he has the bonus track high power at the end of section 80 as well. And I also appreciate the other projects, right? You know, the sort of Black Hippie Project, the Over-Dedicated, and things like that is first album that, that real Kendrick Nationalists always like to mention that they've listened to. So you proved yourself as a real Kendrick Nationalist, uh, Soliana, uh, by letting everyone remember that Uh, Section eighty wasn't technically his first album, So, so 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 yeah, so 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 I really appreciate the development, but I do think that that development and his thought and his form and his ideas are actually there and present in his first albums, even as things grow. But I do agree that you know his stuff is growing with the time and and as a reflection of you know the contemporary struggles that we're all dealing with. You are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we are discussing Kendrick Lamar's latest album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, with comrade Soliana Bikel.
3: So, so there's a consistent theme throughout the album of numbing the pain. Like, you know, some legs were, you know, I pop the pain away, I, I slide the pain away, and the money wipes the tears away. So I wanted to ask how uh, how you interpreted that, Soliana? Like, how would you describe the pain that he's consistently trying to escape on the album?
1: Yeah, I definitely, I really think that you know the pain that he you know talks about you know is definitely something that we've identified as you know part of colonialism. Is something that you know Africans deal with on a day to day basis, and and the you know issues that Kendrick Lamar talks about are you know those individual single issues that you know would impact Africans day to day and I think that you know like you said when he's talking about pop the pain slide the pain away money wipe tears away especially that I feel like that you know just kind of shows like at least his class you know the things that he would do to just you know deal with the everyday issues of you know of the issues that he's faced with at least you know since since um especially his upbringing that has a lot um to do with that. And I feel like it's kind of, I don't want to say on brand for Kendrick, Um, you know, he is known as one of those, you know, conscious rappers, those rappers that, you know, I saw a tweet that said, like, you know, these are all the issues that Kendrick be rapping about, but does nothing about, you know what I mean? And um, I think he (laughs) has a repertoire for talking about, you know, raising awareness, so to speak, about issues while also, you know, like, banking off of songs. <laughs> so I feel like we, you know, do need to recognize that. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to say I wasn't surprised. I just, I think it was just a, a newer, what's it called, um, take or kind of approach to the things that he that he, you know, has been going through. I feel like this is kind of an album that would take five years to make. I feel like the reflection that he, you know, had to, had to reflect on, had to sit down with and kind of really make it lyrically, you know, make it deliverable and, you know, all of that. And I feel like, uh, yeah, like I think this, you know, was excellent. And um, I think, like I said, it's kind of on brand to just talk about the things that, you know, he, you know, deems important, but yeah, that, that's how I would describe it.
2: <laughs> Uhuru, let me ask you all this question, because what do you think about this? Because it seems to be that Hip-hop is the one cultural form, even though, well, I take a step back. I I feel that generally when it comes to African cultural production, that there is a way through which the general colonial media does not allow for us to separate you know, cultural production from the artist itself, in the sense that. We always assume that this is the exact representation of the lived experience of that mm-hmm. person or mm-hmm. African people overall, and I do think that part of that does go back to how uh, African culture has been had been historically introduced into uh, this colonial society. Which is when you saw Al Jolson or something performing "Mammy," it says that's African people, right? So even once Africans start Performing our own stuff on these stages, people start saying that's African people, right? So I feel like this idea that here's this artist who's clearly got all sorts of money, and we think that he's living out his pain on a record, as opposed to uh, having a larger discussion about, you know, African mental health or something like that through this character. That is not a uh, Kendrick Lamar Duckworth, right? It's 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 a character um, that he's playing on a, on a song or something like that. So, but what do y'all think about that? Because I mean, generally people see it, you know, when you know it's, it's something that's really a part of hip hop, you know. But but I think a general understanding of of Africans overall where and I, I don't want to be in some petty bourgeois sort of you know the artist versus the art conversation, but I do think that like I don't assume that he's playing out his own individual pain when he writes one of these songs any more than you know you know one of us is playing our pain if we w- wrote something about this.
3: I mean, I unite with that, and I think um that even it reminds me of something I'd seen um around this particular album. Well, you know, people were kind of criticizing. Uh, you know, just the album cover. You've you seen the artwork. I mean, they got Kendrick and f- who I understand this is real family, and like the projects. And it's like, well, you know, they're saying that that's clearly not y'all. You know, Kendrick's a multi-millionaire. So, what was the significance in portraying yourself in this way? Like, kind of going back to what you said, like distinguishing Kendrick Lamar, Duckworth, the 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 entertainer, the musician, and the character. That he portrays in his music is clearly not meant to be the same person. And uh, just as far as like this assumption that the all of the work that we put out, like the culture that we create, is is meant to represent us personally, that even kind of goes back to this ongoing question of ghostwriters and people being um, shocked and appalled at just the notion of rappers. Like enlisting you know the the assistance of other other people to write their words, and the second an artist is a rapper's exposed of doing that they're you know dismissed there. they're considered fake and you know that's that's not a standard that any other artist of any other genre is uh is held to
2: right no one would suggest. There was not an editorial board for someone who wrote a newspaper article or produced a book or something like that. What do you think about this, Soliana? Because what really stands out to me is that Kendrick did come of age during post-organization, post-social movement of African people. However, his grouping of people, at once they were called Black Hippie or whatever. but you know, you talk about Abso, J Rock,
3: Schoolboy, uh,
2: Schoolboy Q. You know, I feel like they are explicitly in character and shape of their their group. You know, they're from different parts of South Los Angeles. Some came. Some are explicitly Crips. Some are explicitly Blood. Some are clearly Blood affiliated, like Kendrick, and Crip affiliated like Ab Soul or something like that, but they're trying to sort of represent something different. So I feel like, whether we're talking about the conversation of ghostwriters or hip hop crews in themselves, it shows an important collective character and the importance of collective work and collective production that we have in the African community. So to suggest that a person has helped in creating the ideas that they are producing to me should be a nod towards, you know, uh, what Africans should be doing as mm-hmm. opposed to just some, some sort of individualism. What do you think about that? So, yeah,
1: I definitely agree. I feel like, um, I think, you know, the, it is I, like in that sense, um, hip hop is held to a, a standard, like, you know, that, it's ridiculous if, you know, rappers do enlist help or have ghostwriters or whatever. And I think it kind of also is a little bit reflective of, like, at least hip-hop fans or, like, hip-hop culture, what is permissible, you know? Like, it's almost like, oh, if he rapped about it, then you must have lived it or you're living it now type of thing, when that's not necessarily the case or always the case. Um, There are some things that, you know, the hip-hop culture would accept and wouldn't, and I feel like you kind of do have to like, like watch what you're, I guess, kind of rapping about, but I definitely agree. I feel like collectivism in that sense is, is kind of more African than it would be to just do it, you know, in an individual sense. Like this is something, this isn't an individual issue, right? Like this is, these are issues that Africans do contend with as a group,
2: as a collective. And so I do agree with a lot of um, what both of you said. Now, because I saw something that seemed absurd. It seemed to be only something that some petty bourgeois people seeking to slander the African working class would suggest. There was the photo of the white nationalists who shot the people in Buffalo, and the meme was for drill rappers and telling drill rappers that, you know, hey, drill rappers, you guys rap about your ops. And these are your real ops. Why don't you do something about this? And I'm like, would anybody tell John David Washington or Denzel, like, these are your real ops? You know, why don't you do something about this? While well, you got all these Africans that's in the military, all these Africans that's cops and things like that. But, but it's up to the drill rappers. You know, now I think it's important for us to tell these entertainers, it's important to join the organization. But I felt like it's only some petty bourgeois stuff that was suggested. It's up to the drill rappers to lead us in political struggle. It's like only someone trying to slander the African working class that would even raise that nonsense. You know, I was just I was like, this is absurd. And everyone was liking it. Say that again. Say it louder for the people in the back. I said, oh, my gosh, this is ridiculous. You know. It's just yeah. a word is slandered African
3: working class, yeah, that's real. Uh, right. Um, like you said, I mean that's just that's just uh, the, the newest iteration of slandering the African working class. Whenever something, whenever anything happens, uh, you know, in, in the African world, there's always the petty bourgeoisie line is always slandering. Whether we talk about the, whether they talk about the quote unquote, you know, welfare mothers or the quote unquote, you know, anybody in the hood. And in this era, you're gonna hear the the drill rappers come under fire. Um, you know, I mean, the African working class, it's always been the most consistently slandered demographics so that hasn't changed even today so i mean i unite what you're saying um Massimo. i think it is ridiculous um and, and you know i think i think we need to look at the people who are asking the question why, why don't why don't the drill rappers do something about it why don't they do something about it
2: that's what i'm saying it's like is how absurd was this to suggests that the drill rappers uh, sure, well, sure. Who are largely <laughs> children themselves. Exactly.
3: <laughs> you know,
2: so, in many ways, some way or another, I think this actually reflects this conversation we wanted to have around Father Time. In Father Time, Kendrick explores the relationship between him and his father throughout his childhood. He talks about the, quote, tough love, unquote, his father gave him. He told him to hide his feelings, never cry, never look weak, never show emotion. As a result of this upbringing, he has difficulties expressing his feelings today and has developed what he calls daddy issues, quote unquote. We're African internationalists. We understand that all of the issues we experience in our community, even these issues between Kendrick and his father, have their basis in colonial capitalism, the colonial mode of production, which disrupted African people, African families, and the ability for us to produce life and labor and value for ourselves, and even to produce history for ourselves. So with that understanding, how do you feel about that song, Father Time?
1: Um, earlier, I did mention that Father Time, at least like musically, uh, beat wise, and all that, was like one of the ones that caught my attention. But just going a little bit like you know deeper than that, I think you know Father Time kind of explores and just kind of showcases how you know certain Africans would you know deal with you know colonial capitalism, and, like going about it the day to day, like you know hiding your emotions, being strong, or um, you know especially. And I feel like this is something that you know a lot of black men probably experience and probably you know feel like you know kendrick is kind of speaking on you know something that a lot of folks would see you know kinship in but i felt like you know he talks about how his father you know taught him all of these things kind of showed him tough love you know to but he also you know recognizes that even though he has all of these problems because of that he also says that you know it did teach him you know lessons about you know i guess being a better man or being a stronger man but and then but at the same time he also you know says that man knew a lot talking about his dad but not enough to keep me past them streets so it's like you know despite all of that all of that lessons all of those you know things that his father had taught him um no tough love um he still kind of basically i don't want to say succumb but he did still have those face those street you know issues that his father was trying to keep him away from, and I think it, in that in that way the song was like a little you know you know complicated and complex, um, but I overall really enjoyed it.
3: Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I I unite what you said um, you know Soliana, and I, I think it's important that um you know that we understand that you know what the basis of um all these uh these obstacles that that, that we encounter when we dealing with our own people, within our own communities. It's important that we understand what the basis. Um, of it all is, you know, and if we don't, you know, we end up, you know, we end up blaming, uh, blaming us for our own oppression. We are gonna say the black man is a problem, or the black woman is a problem, or I mean, in this case, black fathers, um, are the problem. So, um, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, this is not going. What are you saying?
2: Yeah, I think that's important because I think that does get at the contradiction that exists in hip hop. Is the fact that I believe that hip hop in general, with the exception of the handful of African internationalist artists, has collectively been about survivalism, right? Survival Mm -hmm. pending revolution uh, and not necessarily uh, how you can actually make revolution. So I do think that his father is basically telling him here's a survival strategy, but the survival strategy doesn't overcome the conditions that we uh, experience and that right. in itself is sort of crazy making because, and, and I appreciate father time because I think it then moves it away from this sort of generational curse yeah. I- idealism that we hear in Kendrick's other albums. But then we begin to say, okay, it's not even a generational curse in his other album, right? It's not really a curse that he's actually Outlining, you know, he's clearly suggesting that, you know, it's not a curse, it's material issues that happen. This part that his dad's from the Robert Taylor homes has a family, but he's working at a chicken place. And this other guy, you know, top, who is dealing with issues. And so for that reason, he's pushing to the life of horizontal violence. But then you know they reverse the curse type deal, which is sort of like very biblical. But at the same time, it's not about a curse, right? It's the fact that they consciously choose to uh, fight against uh, the the contradictions uh, of colonial capitalism, and and because they made that conscious choice, not so some idealism or something like that. Then uh, things uh, a better fortune. Came to them uh, and their community and stuff like that. So, so I, I mean, I appreciate this conversation because it yeah. moves it away from some of that previous idealism. It
3: definitely does. It definitely does. And you know, Father Time was a, it was a standout track on the album uh, for me too. Because you know, I, I see this. You know, I've been on social media for a few years, and uh, yeah, I feel like oftentimes you see this this kind of ongoing thing, which is also slander against the African community, but you often see, you know, um, black men can't show emotion and, and black fathers not being able to show emotion and being more or less like emotionally abusive to their family or at, at, at best neglectful, if not outright emotionally abusive. And, um, I think, you know, again, that's why it's important that we approach this, album, this, you know, this song as African nationals because we're able to, as y'all have already said, we're able to trace all of that back to, um, you know, back to a source that even, even Kendrick, in my opinion, doesn't offer on this song. I don't think much of a, a basis of why his father was this way is given, but that's because Kendrick, you know, doesn't really have, doesn't have that perspective. Um,
2: yeah i mean if someone's beating you with a whip and then someone tells you hey here's how you you know grit your teeth clench your butt cheeks or something like that you know what i mean it's like that's a survival strategy
3: and you know what exactly you know what it relate what even reminds me of um you know reminds me of just how when we're talking about uh uh what they they call corporal punishment and, and beating your kids and you know we trace it back to how uh, you know, we're doing this on a plantation and, you know, beating, you know, giving the kid licks in the house so he doesn't go outside and get killed by massa, And how that whole kind of general dynamic even exists today and how it comes out today in um, Kendrick's relationship with his father. You are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we're discussing Kendrick Lamar's latest album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers with Soliana Backe. So just piggybacking off the last question, another consistent theme we see on this album, and I think just even Kendrick's entire discography is just his ongoing struggle with with his own mental health, but the larger struggle with mental health in, in the African community. So on that same record, Father Time, um, he opens it with the words, real nigga don't need no therapy. So what do you think was the significance of him beginning the song with this?
1: I definitely think that at least in just having it at the beginning, especially was a way to, at least if you just, if you're just listening to it to kind of at least get your attention with that line. Cause I feel like it's something that a lot of, you know, Africans hear almost, um, you know, it's almost a catchphrase like in that sense that, um, Especially when people say, um, you know, mental health in the black community is never, you know, never spoken for. It's not something that we practice. It's, you know, uh, demeaned or not deemed as important because, you know, it's just not something tangible. It's not your physical um, well-being. And so I think um, the significance of this and like his I think it really connects to what he (laughs) begins to talk about with the rest of the album because or with the rest of the song uh, specifically because you know he says like we said earlier all this about tough love and you know not having being able to you know show your emotions as a man not be able to you know cry when you need to all that stuff really goes back to you know all of those ingrained messages that he had growing up from his father um kind of you know coming to the conclusion that, you know, a real nigga don't need no therapy because a real nigga don't cry, you know, a real nigga don't, you know, need to um, go through all of that. And so I think that was a culmination of, you know, his upbringing in that sense. And so I think it was really significant and really just like ear catching, (laughs) so to speak. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that um, conversation about uh, mental health because, you know, as African internationalists, we understand the importance of mental health, but the importance of mental health for the purpose that it gives us the fighting capacity to overturn the conditions under which we live and to focus on the source of mental illness in the African community, which is colonialism Mm -hmm. and the colonial domination of African people, but also underscoring the fact that Oftentimes when African people have been slandered as crazy, it's precisely at the moment in which African people have been fighting to regain some sort of sanity and therefore control over our lives. You know, here in the Hura movement, you know, we've all participated in something called the Aya resistance circles. And I remember when these were being crafted by, uh, partially uh, by uh, my partner, Imwezi Odom, uh, under the direct leadership of people like Chairman Omala Shatella and Director Aisha Fields of All African People Development and Empowerment Project, you know, the whole idea was this is for resistance. The understanding of what we're dealing with is so that Africans can resist, right? Not just individually heal. So sometimes, but also push back generally against sometimes this Conversation that comes from what generally is petty bourgeois people that African people don't take mental health seriously. African people don't take mental health seriously. But the thing is that the vast majority of people, African people killed by the police or something like that, I've seen some number like 70% have been listed at one time or another as having mental health issues. So that could mean a couple of different things, right? That the way in which the counter works is to label Africans as crazy because as a way to put the responsibility of the conditions that we live under on us and not on colonialism. But it also underscores why, quote unquote, we don't take it seriously because we know that 911 and the mental health hotline is not here to solve our problems. You know, here in San Diego, where I'm at, we had this African by the name of Alfred Alongo uh, almost six years ago who his sister called the cops he was having a mental health break and the cops came and blew him away and this is the same thing over and over again i remember in texas a few years ago you know there was a mom and she was just, she just threw up her hands called 911 he and she's on the phone saying he's he's a, he's he's on his thing again he's having one of his episodes again called 9 9 911 uh, they came and blew her son away uh, in front of the garage and stuff like that so so, so i feel like like, like these are the these are the conversations we have to have. But you know what, Africans, I say, look, you know, we say that Africans don't take it serious, but then Africans spend all their time praying on their knees, trying to overcome the issues that they have, right? As opposed to uh, collectively organizing against these issues, which I do find to be the way forward, um, uh, uh, beyond. This is like, like let's collectively organize against these issues. What do you think about that? So, Liana?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think calling for that, calling for collectively organizing is, I don't think, something that we see in, not necessarily in this album, but in, you know, hip-hop in general, like you said earlier, it's there isn't a lot of African internationalist uh, rappers out there. And so just by that, you know, by that default, you will see a lot of Africans talking about all of the things that, you know, we identify as the root cause of colonialism, but at least fail to understand that that is something that can only be uh, ameliorated or even, uh, you know, contradicted with collectivism, with collective organization. Um, And then also even recognizing colonialism as the problem too. I feel like, you know, rappers have pointed it out, you know, have pieces of the puzzle, but it's the, the issue of putting it together is, you know, something that is lacking, but yeah, I definitely agree um, with that sentiment.
2: Oh, so on that note, let me ask you this final question. Another much discussed track from the album that I believe also addressed this system's impact on our mental health and our relationships is We Cry Together. How do you interpret that track?
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. I couldn't sit through it. Um, it got so like hectic and you know, back and forth, it almost like, almost not, not to say triggered me, but it was just like, uh I don't know, it, it was just drastic. Mm-hmm. It was a drastic thing uh, to have. I think it was around the middle of the album, but yeah, I think it, it goes with that theme of, you know, mental health and how that manifests in something like a relationship between an African man and an African woman, presumably being them, you know, them being African in, in the track. And so, yeah, I interpreted that that song to just almost be kind of like an interlude to set the overall theme of the album and with a special emphasis on mental health <clears throat> i think it like it's almost like an uh kind of like an evidence for you know you know kept uh for Kendrick to put in like okay this is what i'm talking about and like this is how it manifests or like this is an example of like what you know i'm trying to say so that was definitely like a, a drastic <laughs> listen uh for me but, yeah, that's how I interpreted
2: it. Yeah, yeah. I find that interesting because, you know, there's this whole petty bourgeois thing where people say, I don't want to watch this because that's trauma porn. I don't want to watch this because that's, <laughs> that's trauma it. porn. That's that's I, it. That's it. I'm more interested in the speculative and the absurdist and the Afrofuturist mm-hmm. and all this other right. Right. nonsense <laughs> because, because people don't want to deal with the reality yeah. that we have as African yeah. people that yeah. colonized People and I hear this because people would rather watch Lovecraft Country, which is not written by anyone from the African working class, than watch quote unquote another movie about slavery because there's so many movies about slavery, of which there are not so many movies about slavery because they say it's trauma porn or something like that. But I think what you're pointing at is. I think that the reason why they don't like to watch those things is because it leaves them vulnerable and they are disorganized and they lack the organization uh, to overturn these conditions. So I believe that the next step from we cry together is we fight together. Right. So no longer should we fight against each other. We can collectively talk about these conditions and now we need to plot our freedom. Right. So so for me, what we should be doing when we engage these cultural arts is to say, OK, what's the way forward? Because when you have the strength of African internationalism, I believe you can engage all this other stuff. You know, I think you said that it was hard for you to listen to it. But eventually you, you listen to it. Right. Because you're equipped with African internationalism. So uh, what's some final thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you're definitely right. I think uh, what you pointed out is, you know, definitely something I agree with. It it does, listening to this, like you said, um, would point out, like, that vulnerability that, you know, <laughs> the the reality that people don't even necessarily want to deal with. And, yeah, I think um, we cry together and then, you know, kind of juxtaposing that with we fight together, um, Matsumeli really hit the nail on that head. So I definitely agree with her.
3: Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that wholeheartedly. The next record should be uh, "We Fight Together." I think that's um, that's the that, well, that's the next step that it needs to be anyway. And um, just as far as final thoughts on the um, on the record, I mean, I I, I agree with and appreciate everything that's been said um up to this point. I think um, you know, uh, records like you know, we cry together and and Father Time, um, I think they just lay out just the various different ways that colonial capitalism the colonial mode of production really you know impacts corrupts um our relationships and i think if we don't have that the understanding uh, that african nationalism does provide then you know again we end up just kind of ending our criticism on like the people we're fighting against personally the people in our personal lives and not being able to kind of have a you know, a more long view that that shows us that that we're not each other's enemies, and that this is you know bigger than us individually. Even how the uh, even how the record ends, like the record ends with the two of them, you know, sleeping with each other. And I know some might listen to that, and listen to that record and call that toxic, but I even think even that kind of kind of underscores how they still love each other and they have this love for each other that's being kind of contorted and, you know, this kind of constant assault being waged on this love and it manifests in all this, all the cussing and carrying on and everything you saw throughout the record. But they have that, that love, you know, at its core. So I think uh, that's how I interpreted that. And uh, I think I just want to just underscore what you said also, you know, Master Mello, we just have to understand the uh, the root of it all and, um, and move from crying about this uh, to fighting, to overturn the system that has us crying in the first place.
2: Yeah, yeah. This has been such a great, great conversation. And we ain't even touched the tip of the iceberg on this album. We didn't say anything about Auntie Diaries or any of that other uh, very, very important conversation to be had about Kendrick and his work. So I think it's safe to say that this is only part one in a continued conversation about Kendrick Lamar and his album, Mr. Morale. And the Big Steppers. So, you are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we discussed Kendrick Lamar's latest album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Our theme song, Get Up and Do Something, was written and performed by Elika Ngoma, thanks to the Black Power Talks production, research, and promotions team, including Soleana Bekel. Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and Hipsa Panda. Uhuru.
0: You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And there's no need of running and no need of saying honey i